Turn with me, please, to Zechariah chapter 11. We want to spend our time today in Zechariah 11. Now, as I was just th- sitting here, I was thinking about last week when Abner uh, got up and he was preaching on Zechariah chapter 10, and he said that it was a really difficult chapter to prepare, a really difficult chapter to uh, go through, and rightly so, because it is. Now, I don't know what you guys were thinking, as, but as he said that, and I was sitting there, I just thought in my carnal flesh, I thought, awesome, Abner gets the hard chapter. That means I'm off the hook. You know, I'm okay with that. So, but then I started preparing for chapter 11. And I thought, I'll go back and I'll see what Pastor John said, you know, when he preached on it. And literally, this is how he started the message. He said, Zechariah chapter 11 is the hardest chapter I've ever had to preach on. <laughs> I thought, oy vey, how am I going <laughs> to... Oh, but it is a wonderful chapter. It's a great chapter to go through, a very, very significant one. And so we want to spend our time in Zechariah chapter 11 today. And what I want to do is I just want to go through it with you verse by verse and make sure that we are able to understand it and understand what Zechariah is prophesying about. Now, as we think about this, as we think about the nation of Israel as a whole, we know that Israel is God's chosen people. We know that God chose Abraham and he built a nation out of him and he did this in order to bring salvation to the people, specifically to the world, specifically through the Messiah. And as God made this covenant with Abraham, God promised to have a special hand of protection over the nation of Israel. God said to Abraham that whoever blesses you, I will bless, and whoever curses you, I will curse. But as you look at that promise, and as you look at the nation of Israel over the past couple thousand years, they have suffered tremendous amounts of persecution. And as you look at it, you can ask the question, how is Israel's God's chosen people if they have suffered so much? Right? You can think about the past 2,000 years, but you can even just focus on the past 100 years, and you can think about the pogroms that they went through in Russia. You can think about the Holocaust that they went through in Germany. You can think about the present time right now. They're in the land of Israel, but the countries around them, their enemies, they have sworn to wipe the country off the face of the map. So you think about that and you ask the question, how is that being the nation that God has chosen? And this question has been asked in literature, it's been asked in academics, in dissertations, it has even been asked in New York City on the Broadway. You know, you can think, you remember the play Fiddler on the Roof, play about the Russian Jews in a village in a shtetl back in Russia, and Tevye the milkman, the main character in the play, he is coming home one day after a very difficult day. And after just a very uh, tough experience with so many things happening, so many things going wrong. And so as he's coming home that one day, he says to himself, he says, God, I know that we are the chosen people, but for one day, can't you just choose somebody else? (laughs) Right? And the idea is clear. The idea is clear that If Israel is God's chosen people, then how come they suffer so much? 
How come they've suffered so much over the past couple thousand years? Well, Zechariah chapter 11 addresses this question as well. And Zechariah gives us an answer. And he says this. He says that the reason that Israel has suffered over the past couple thousand years so much is because the nation of Israel rejected their Messiah, Jesus. In Zechariah 11, God tells Zechariah to play out the role, to take on a role of a shepherd, of a good shepherd and of a false shepherd, of uh, Christ, essentially, and of the Antichrist. And in this role play, Zechariah shows that the nation of Israel will reject the true shepherd. And after they reject the true shepherd, they will receive and embrace the false shepherd. They will reject Christ and they will accept and embrace the Antichrist. And because of this, God is judging Israel. Now, Zechariah is not the first prophet to act out a prophecy, to role-play a prophecy. You can think about Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 4, God tells Ezekiel, go and build a miniature Jerusalem. Little walls, little city, build little armies around the city with weapons pointing towards the city. And that, that event was supposed to prophesy the first destruction of Jerusalem. And this is what God tells Zechariah to do in chapter 11. He says, play out the role of a shepherd, of a true shepherd and of a false shepherd, of Christ and of the Antichrist. And this will show how Israel will reject the true prophet and how they will embrace the false prophet. Now, even though this prophecy will come true from Zechariah's perspective, even though it'll come true on a national level, it was still a warning. It was still an exhortation to the Israelites within the nation to not reject the Messiah, but to embrace the Messiah and to reject the false prophet. Zechariah was essentially saying to the nation, he was saying that even if the entire nation rejects the Messiah, you as an individual do not reject the Messiah, but embrace him. And this is what Zechariah shows us in Zechariah chapter 11. And so we first begin with Zechariah playing the role of a true shepherd and demonstrating to us how Israel will reject the true shepherd. As Zechariah takes on this role, he begins actually with the consequences. He announces to the people the destruction of leadership in Israel. He announces the destruction of the treacherous shepherds that were leading over Israel. And you'll, see, you'll be able to see some of these points on the screen um, as I go through them. So he announces the, treacherous the destruction of the treacherous shepherds. And look with me at verses 1 through 3. Zechariah says, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that a fire may consume your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, because the mighty trees have been destroyed. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the impenetrable forest has come down. There is a sound of the shepherds' wail, for their might is destroyed. There is a sound of the young lions' roar, for the pride of Jordan is destroyed. Because Israel rejects the true shepherd, there will be a foreign invasion. And this invasion will conquer, ultimately, the land of Israel. 
It begins with Lebanon, and then it goes to the south. Now, whenever we begin to talk about geography, I want pictures. I want a map. And so I put a map right here on the screen so that we can see what Zechariah is describing. And you can see the mountains of Lebanon to the north there. Right? And so Zechariah says that this invasion will begin in the north in Lebanon. Lebanon is known for the cedar trees, for, for its cypress trees. And Zechariah says that these trees will be destroyed. And if the trees of Lebanon are destroyed, are destroyed, that means that the entire nation of Lebanon is destroyed. And then this moves south towards Bashan, which you can see on the screen as well. And it says, Zechariah says that the oaks of Bashan will be destroyed. Now, Bashan is at the border of Israel. So as soon as Bashan is destroyed, Israel becomes exposed. Then it goes down to Jordan and says that the pride of Jordan will be destroyed. Now, the pride of Jordan is the thick forest. It's a thicket in which the lions lived and that they had their dwelling. And so Zechariah says here that this area, this forest in Jordan will also be destroyed and the lions will roar. All of these trees and forests, they functioned in a way as a wall around the nation of Israel, around Jerusalem. And Zechariah, as he's saying this, he is imagining these forests as that wall. And he is imagining that there is a gate in this wall. And that's why he says, give it up. Or he says, open your doors, open your gates. And what he means by that is just give it up. Right? The invasion is coming. It's going to be fierce. Don't bother resisting. You will be destroyed. And once this wall or these forests are destroyed, then the nation of Israel will be exposed to the destruction as well. Now, the fact that the cedars and the cypresses are mentioned would cause the people to think of the temple. And you ask, why would they think of the temple? Because the temple was built with cedars and cypresses. And so they're thinking, well, if the cedars and cypresses around Israel are destroyed and burned down, then doesn't that mean that the temple will also burn down because it's built of cedars and cypresses? The fact that the young lions are mentioned here would make the people think of the royalty in Jerusalem because lions represented royalty. And so the people would ask, well, if the lions and if the area where the lions lived are destroyed, doesn't mean that the royalty in Jerusalem will also be destroyed. And then Zechariah really brings this to a climactic point when he says that the shepherds will wail, meaning that all of the leadership of Israel will be destroyed. So Jerusalem will be destroyed, the royalty will be destroyed, all of Israel's leadership will be destroyed. That's the point that Zechariah is making here, that Israel will suffer definitive destruction. Well, when did this prophecy come to fulfillment? When did this happen? Rabbis and Jewish and Christian scholars, there's agreement that this was fulfilled in AD 70 when The Romans invaded Israel, they tore down Jerusalem, burnt it down, and destroyed the entire nation. It started in AD 70, and then it really came to completion in AD 35. And you can think about it this way. In AD 30, Jesus was crucified. In AD 70, 40 years later, the Romans came and they destroyed Jerusalem. And then in AD 135, Hadrian, the Roman emperor, came and he finished the job. 
he tore Jerusalem, the temple, everything down to the ground, and he burnt it all. And after that, the Romans scattered the people of Israel all throughout the world for 2,000 years, until 1948, when the state of Israel was once again reestablished. Well, as you think about this destruction, we can ask the question, why would God allow something so horrific if Israel is his chosen people? He chose them. Why does he now banish them? And Jesus himself answered this question. In Matthew 23, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you together, but you did not want it. And then he says, behold, your house is being left to you desolate. He's saying, you will be judged. And 40 years after Christ was crucified, Israel was judged. Israel rejected the Son of God at that point. And so God's response was to take away that hand of special protection for the nation of Israel. And now Israel has suffered such devastation for the past couple thousand years. And it really has become a doomed nation. Israel has become a doomed nation. And this is what Zechariah goes on to focus in the next portion. Zechariah first talks about the invasion, the destruction of the treacherous shepherds, and then he talks about the doom of the troubled flock. God tells at this point, he tells Zechariah to act out the role of the shepherd, of Messiah himself, and to show how Israel is going to become a doomed nation. So look at verses 4 through 6 with me. This is what Zechariah says. God says to Zechariah, shepherd the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and are not held guilty. And each of those who sell them says, blessed be Yahweh. Indeed, I have become rich and their own shepherds do not spare them. For I will no longer spare the inhabitants of the land, declares Yahweh. But behold, I will cause the men to fall each into another's hand and into the hand of his king. And they will crush the land and I will not deliver them from their hand. God says here that this flock is doomed to slaughter. It's going to be butchered. He says that it's going to suffer the worst kind of slaughter from various levels, from the perspective of the enemies, from the perspective of Israel itself, from the perspective of God also. Now, with regard to the enemies, the slaughter will be ruthless and it's going to be unrestrained. Zechariah says those who buy them slaughter them, they butcher them, and they're not held guilty. The enemies are going to commit evil. They're going to be brutal. They're going to commit what we call war crimes, and no one is going to stop them. No one is going to hold them accountable. That will be the punishment for rejecting the Messiah. But that's the punishment they'll receive with regard to the enemy specifically. From the perspective of Israel, the slaughter will also include the betrayal of the Israelite leadership. Zechariah says, each of those who sell them says, blessed be Yahweh. I have become rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. Now it's clear that the enemies of Israel are the ones who are buying the Israelites. Right? That makes sense. So we can ask, well, who is the one selling them then? And Zechariah says, their own shepherds. 
their own shepherds do not spare them. Israel's leadership, the priests, the elders, the scribes, they are the ones who will sell them because they're the shepherds at that time. Shepherds are supposed to defend their own sheep, but these shepherds were selling and betraying their sheep. Jesus said that this was happening not only on the physical level, but on the spiritual level as well. In Matthew 23, 15, Jesus says that when the Pharisees make a proselyte and they make an Israelite a Pharisee like them, they make him twice as much a son of hell. So they do this spiritually because they don't preach the word of God. They preach their traditions. They do this physically when they made a pact with the Romans so that they would have control over the land of Israel. So they did this physically with the Israelites as well. Because they betrayed Israel, God destroyed them and he destroyed the nation. But there's another element of this slaughter, and that's from the perspective of God. This slaughter shows that God had given Israel over to judgment. God says in verse 6, I, Yahweh, will no longer spare the inhabitants of the land. God says that he allowed this to happen. He himself sovereignly allowed this to take place. And the fascinating thing here is, if you look at the text in verse 6, it says that God gave Israel into the hand of Israel's king. But Israel didn't have a king in AD 70. Israel didn't have a king in Zechariah's time. We've made that clear as we were preaching through uh, Zechariah and Haggai and Nahum. Well, if they didn't have a king, then who is Zechariah referring to? Who is Israel's king? When the religious leaders brought Jesus to Pilate in order for him to be crucified, and Pilate presumably tried to set him free, Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? Do you remember how the chief priests responded? They said, we have no king but Caesar. So they declared their allegiance to Caesar as their king. Israel rejected the true king, and they embraced Caesar as the false king. And they thought they were getting protection that way, because then the Romans would not destroy them, they thought. Ironically, it was the Caesars who then implemented this execution against all of Israel, destruction against Israel in 70 AD. And so because of this, Israel became a flock that was doomed to slaughter. Now, as Zechariah continues to role-play the Messiah, to act out the, the role of the Messiah, he shows that even though the people were rejecting, that they would reject the Messiah, the Messiah still would care for the people. And Zechariah describes here the devotion of the true shepherd, the devotion of the true shepherd. Look at verse 7. Zechariah says, as the Messiah, he says, So I shepherded the flock doomed to slaughter, hence the afflicted of the flock. And I took for myself two staffs, the one I called favor and the other I called union. So I shepherded the flock. Christ, it says, cared for the flock because they were an afflicted flock. Not only afflicted physically, but afflicted spiritually as well. And Jesus shows this when he was uh, going through his ministry. 
when he was eating at one time with the sinners and the tax collectors, the scribes and the Pharisees objected to this, and they said to him, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and with the sinners? And this is how Jesus responded. He said, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. And then he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And this is what Zechariah is showing here as well. Jesus, the Messiah, would care for the afflicted, not only physically, but spiritually as well. And so Zechariah takes two staffs or two shepherding sticks to guide the sheep, and he calls one favor and calls the other union. And you can see them on the screen. I know you guys know what they look like, but you can see them nevertheless. And actually, the logo, the emblem of the Master's Seminary, it consists of a series of shepherding staffs. And the idea there is that we have one great shepherd, Christ, but the seminary produces shepherds, the under-shepherds, who then go out and serve as under-shepherds throughout the world. Well, Zechariah calls one of these staffs favor in order to refer to God's relationship between God and man and to show favor that, that God showed, shows towards the people, the concern and the care that God shows towards the people. And we saw that, or we see in the Gospels, that Jesus cared for the sick, for the lepers, for the blind, for people who were in need. But he never stopped with the physical. He always brought them to a point of repentance, pointed them to God so that they would be in favor with God spiritually as well. And he took the second staff union, and that staff represented the relationship between man and man. And that idea there was that the nation of Israel would be united together as one people under God. As one people under the rule and the reign of God. In Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven, the passage that we already looked at, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you. That's what Jesus was going after. But then he says, but you did not want it. This was Jesus' desire, but the people rejected it. Well, because the people rejected the Messiah, God judged the people. In verses 8 and 9, Zechariah says, Then I annihilated the three shepherds in one month, for my soul was impatient with them, and their soul also was weary of me. Then I said, I will not shepherd you. What is to die? Let it die. And what is to be annihilated, let it be annihilated. And let those who remain consume one another's flesh. Zechariah says here that God would destroy three shepherds. But who are these three shepherds that he's referring to? Well, throughout the book of Zechariah, Zechariah referred to the prophet, priest, and king. But by the time of Jesus, there was no prophet, priest, and king. It was the scribes, the priests, and the elders who were ruling over, over Israel. And so the three shepherds that he would destroy would be these three categories. Scribes, priests, and elders who functioned as the leadership over Israel at that time. And when Christ came, he condemned these groups. In Matthew 23, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! And then when Jerusalem fell in 70 A.D., these leaders were destroyed. There's no scribes, there's no Pharisees, there's no elders today, there's no prophet, there's no priest, there's no king. There are people who have the last name Cohen, right, Cohen, and their, their lineage probably very likely leads to the priestly line 
uh, in the past. I actually have a friend whose last name is Pharisee. Of all things, his last name is Pharisee in Hebrew, so it translates into Pharisee in English. And I just can't imagine if we were to invite him to Sojourners as a guest speaker. (laughs) Please welcome Dr. Pharisee. (laughs) But when Jerusalem was destroyed, these groups did not exist. They were destroyed. These three offices were destroyed with the destruction of Jerusalem. And Zechariah explains here that God judged Israel because they wanted nothing to do with God. God says, for my soul was impatient with them, and their soul was weary of me. And we saw this when the people tried to kill Christ. So God gave them over to their own sin. And in prefiguring Christ and role-playing Christ, Zechariah says at that point, I will not shepherd you. What is to die, let it die. What is to be annihilated, let it be annihilated. And then he says, let those who remain consume one another's flesh. Literally, eat one another's flesh. And if you think about it, this sounds a lot like cannibalism. And if you study the history of what happened in AD 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed, cannibalism was happening at that time as well. Josephus, a Jewish Jewish historian, describes an incident in which starvation was so severe that a mother had an infant child, and because starvation was so severe, she took her child, she roasted the child, and she ate the child in order to survive. That's how severe God's judgment on Israel was at that time. You know, so we can ask, how is it that such horrors were happening in Israel? And the answer is because the people rejected Christ, God removed his hand of protection from them. And this is what Zechariah says in verse 10. I took my staff favor and cut it in pieces. Took my staff favor and cut it in pieces to break my covenant which I had cut with all the peoples. When God chose Israel, he made a covenant with Israel and he said that whoever curses you, I will curse. And by implication, he was making a covenant for the people as well because the people would be the ones who would be punished for attacking and cursing Israel. God promised to protect and to preserve the nation of Israel. Other groups, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, they were all destroyed. But God protected the nation of Israel. But when Israel rejected the Messiah, God temporarily removed this hand of protection from them. Not to the point of annihilation. Israel will always exist. It will never go out of existence. But God allowed the nation to be devastated. And he did this during the first exile partly. But he did this severely after they rejected Christ. But... In the time of Jesus' ministry and afterwards, there were still people who believed. In verse 11, Zechariah says, So it was broken on that day, the staff was broken, the covenant, and thus the afflicted of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of Yahweh. As the people watched Christ throughout his ministry, what he was doing, and even when he was on the cross, there were those who believed. I mean, you can think about the centurion who was uh, presumably a Gentile even, and he said, truly this man was the son of God when Christ was on the cross. Those who acknowledged that they were afflicted, those who understood that they were afflicted, not the elite who thought they had it all figured out, but those who were lowly 
they believed and they were saved. But most people did reject the Messiah and they ultimately crucified him. So Zechariah goes on at this point to act out the specific elements and the details of the betrayal of Jesus. Look at verse 12. Zechariah says, still playing the role of the Messiah, Zechariah says, If it is good in your sight, give me my wages. But if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. When Zechariah asks for the wages, he's essentially saying to the people, what am I worth to you? And because he's playing the role of the Messiah, the Messiah is saying to the people, what am I worth to you? If I'm worth something, tell me. If I'm worth nothing, so be it. Never mind, he says. And so when Zechariah asks this question, the people answer. And the answer that they give is 30 shekels of silver. You're worth 30 shekels of silver to us. 30 shekels of silver is the price of a slave who was injured, who was about to die. This is the sum of the lowest of the low. The people were saying that not only are you worth nothing to us, they're saying that you're lower than nothing. They were disdaining him. They were showing disdain and they were despising him. And this is what Isaiah 53 says, that Christ would be despised and forsaken. This is the question that Judas faced as well. What is Jesus worth to you, Judas? And the answer was 30 pieces of silver. He said, give me 30 pieces of silver and I will sell Jesus to you. He said this to the religious leaders. And he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And this is the question that we must ask and answer today, each one of us. What is Jesus worth to you? If you reject him, you're saying he's not worth anything to you. If he is worth something to you, then you have to submit to him. But as we saw in Judas, 30 pieces of silver, he kissed Jesus, he betrayed Jesus, And he sold Jesus to the religious leaders. And as you look at this, it's astounding. The details that Zechariah prophesies all come to fulfillment. And so after Zechariah details this betrayal, Zechariah then continues to one further element in this prophecy. He talks about God's discipline of this disobedient nation. God's discipline of this treacherous nation, generation at that time. God gives his assessment in verses 13 and 14, and you can read this with me. Then Yahweh said to me, throw it to the potter, throw the 30 pieces of shekels to the potter, that valuable price at which I was valued by them. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of Yahweh. And this is exactly what happened in the betrayal of Jesus. Judas sold Jesus. He was guilt-stricken. He took the money. He went to the temple. He threw the money. Uh, on the floor in the temple, the chief priests took the money and they bought a potter's field. But notice that even though Jesus was the one who was sold for 30 pieces of silver, God says that he was the one who was sold. In verse 13, God says, the price at which I, Yahweh, was valued by them. What the people did to Jesus, the people did to God, because Jesus is God. 
Because they put a price tag of a slave on God, God punished them with an exile that would last for 2,000 years, and the entire nation of Israel, the state of Israel, would be destroyed. And to illustrate this judgment, Zechariah then breaks the second staff of the shepherd in verse 14. He says, Then I cut in pieces my second staff union to break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. The first staff favor showed the relationship between God and the people and the care that he had for them. The second staff union showed the hope that there would be unity within the nation, that there would be a state that would exist in peace. And at this point, Zechariah breaks it because this promise of peace would be postponed until a generation that would accept Christ and submit to God. Everything that Zechariah showed here comes to pass, just as he describes it. The people of Israel reject the Messiah. They're scattered all around the world. And to the present day, even though the nation of Israel exists, it exists in instability, without peace. And all of this because they did not accept the Messiah. Now, as horrible as this is, this is only part of the tragedy of the history of Israel. Zechariah continues to show that after the people reject the Messiah, the true shepherd, they will then receive and embrace the false shepherd. And this is the second part of Zechariah chapter 11 in verses 15 through 17. Zechariah reveals here that while the people rejected the true shepherd, they will receive the false shepherd. Now, the false shepherd is not simply a bad leader. The false shepherd is an agent of Satan, and the New Testament calls this man the Antichrist. In the end times during the tribulation, Satan will raise up a man who will be his agent, and he will operate through this agent trying to destroy Israel and trying to destroy all the saints who believe in God during the tribulation. And this Antichrist, as the agent of Satan, he will be an exceptional man. And let me just read a few of the qualities that the Bible reveals about him. First of all, it says that he will be an intellectual genius. Daniel 7, 8 says that he'll have eyes like the eyes of a man, meaning that he'll be able to perceive things that are brilliant. Secondly, he will be an outstanding orator. Daniel 7 also says that he will speak great things. And the great things that he will speak, it says, will be against God. Thirdly, he will be a master politician. It says that he will establish peace in the world without war. That's the type of a politician that he will be able that he will function as. Now he will be a fake messiah, he will be a fake Christ because he will establish this peace temporarily. But the true prince of peace will establish peace permanently for us. Fourthly, he will be a business genius. Daniel 8 and Revelation 18 say that he will bring prosperity to the world. But not surprisingly, this prosperity, this economy will bring Tons of money to his pockets as well, and he will become wealthy. Fifthly, it says that he will be a military genius. Daniel 7, Revelation 13 say that he'll be able to conquer the world, all of the world, and break it into pieces. So even though he will gain dominion by, by bringing peace to the world without any war, he will be able to stomp out any opposition that he will face. So he will be the combination of Nebuchadnezzar and Alexander the Great and all of the Caesars put together. He will be a military genius. And sixthly, he will be a religious leader. 
Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.4 that the Antichrist will exalt himself above every so-called God. He will seat himself in the sanctuary of God in the temple and he will present himself as God and demand that the people of the world worship him. So with these six qualities, this individual will be the ultimate counterfeit Christ. That's why we call him the Antichrist. And this Antichrist is the false shepherd that Zechariah speaks about in Zechariah chapter 11. This is why this is so horrific. Israel rejects the true Christ and they accept this Antichrist. And so as Zechariah begins to reveal the Antichrist to us, he shows the character of the Antichrist, the character of the false shepherd. Look at verse 15. Then Yahweh said to me, Take again for yourself the equipment of a foolish shepherd. So, so far, Zechariah has been playing the role of a true shepherd. But now God says to him, take the equipment of a foolish shepherd and play the role of a foolish shepherd. The word foolish refers to somebody who is an ignorant fool. Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Ignorant fools despise wisdom and discipline. So the shepherd is ignorant because he rejects the wisdom of God. And this results in destruction for the ignorant fool, but also for anyone who follows this ignorant fool. Now we can also ask, what are these tools of a foolish shepherd? It says, take up the equipment of a foolish shepherd. Well, we don't know for sure. It doesn't say. So it could be that he takes the broken staffs. It could be that because they're completely useless, but he's a foolish shepherd. It could be that he takes a club, a massive club, and instead of leading the sheep, he actually injures the sheep. Whatever these instruments are, the people would recognize it, and they would say that this is outrageous. But not only is this outrageous, they would say that this individual is dangerous, destructive. And that's the very nature of the Antichrist. He will be destructive. But as Zechariah describes the character, the destructive character, he emphasizes that even though he will be destructive, all of this is still in the sovereignty of God. Zechariah doesn't want us to lose sight of that. Look at verse 16. God says, For behold, I am going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who face annihilation, who seek the young, heal the broken, or sustain the one standing, but will consume the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hooves. God says here that he himself will be involved in bringing about the coming of this false shepherd. He says, I am going to raise up a shepherd. God wants everyone to know that he is in full control of everything that is happening, even of everything that is evil around us, around, around the world. Whether in the past when Satan attacked Job, God was in control Right now, when we see the evil that's happening all around the world, God is in control. When this most evil man rises up, God will still be in control. And Zechariah wants us to understand that. And perhaps Zechariah emphasizes this here because the evil that he will carry out will be so terrible that it might be tempting to think, has God lost control of what's going on? But Zechariah says, God is in full control of what is happening. And so then Zechariah proceeds to describe the evil nature of this shepherd, of the Antichrist. 
says that the Antichrist will not help those who are facing annihilation, those who are in danger, who are about to die. And this word annihilation was the same word used earlier to talk about the destruction of Jerusalem, of Israel in A.D. 70. This is the kind of destruction that the sheep of this shepherd will face, and even worse. But he will not care. He will not do anything. The Antichrist will not seek the young, meaning that he will not help the most helpless. The Antichrist will not heal the broken. And this is the opposite of God and Christ. In Psalm 103, verse 3, God heals our diseases. In Isaiah 53, 5, we see that we are healed because of Christ's suffering. But the Antichrist will not heal the broken. The Antichrist will not even feed the strong. He will not sustain the one standing. These are the healthy sheep. They, all they need is just to be fed. But he's not going to do that. He will deliberately neglect them so that they will waste away and so that they will die off. And then Zechariah adds that the Antichrist will be outright vicious. He'll be outright vicious. There was a king in Russian history, you've probably heard of him, Ivan the Terrible. And he was known to be an evil human being. And one reason, just one reason, was because when he would get angry, he would torture animals. So he would take birds and he would pluck out the feathers when they're alive. He would take dogs, throw them out the window. He would take cats, do the same, throw them out the window. And so he was known as Ivan the Terrible, appropriately so. Well, it says here that the Antichrist will tear off the hooves of the sheep. He will mutilate the sheep, and there is no reason for him to do this except for the fact that he enjoys sheer violence. And so he will come to be known as a man of destruction. When Daniel speaks of the Antichrist, Daniel says that the Antichrist will destroy and devote many to destruction. Zechariah later on says that two-thirds of the nation of Israel will be destroyed at this time. And so that's why Jeremiah calls this era, the tribulation, the time of Jacob's distress. It will be a terrible time to be alive at. Thankfully, Christ will take us to be, take the church to be with him at that time. We will not be there for the tribulation. But will this destruction end, or how will this destruction end? Is there any hope when there is such viciousness and evil taking place at this time? And this takes us to the second part of Zechariah's revelation and description about the Antichrist, about the false shepherd. Zechariah reveals the collapse of the false shepherd, the collapse of the false shepherd. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 reads, Woe to the worthless shepherd who forsakes the flock. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally dried up and his right eye will be utterly dimmed. Zechariah says that God will crush the Antichrist. He says, Woe to the false shepherd. God will strike the Antichrist on the arm and on the eye, destroying his strength, destroying his ability to wage warfare in any regard, in any respect. 
In ancient times, soldiers would take the shield and they would shield their entire body, only leaving their right eye to see what's out there so that they would be able to navigate and maneuver during the time of war. Well, here, Zechariah says that God will take out his right eye so that he won't be able to fight at all. He won't have any sight to be able to wage warfare. God will completely disable him, and he won't be able to do any harm at that point. So just as God, in his sovereignty, allows for the Antichrist to rise up, so will God bring him down. Daniel said that the Antichrist and his entire empire will be judged. They will be judged in the burning of fire. And John says in Revelation 19 that God will cast the Antichrist into the lake of fire. This is the destiny of the false shepherd, the Antichrist. And it's the destiny of Satan who was standing behind the Antichrist as well. Eternity in hell. And this is why it's such a tragedy when we see that Israel embraces the false shepherd. Because the end of this false shepherd and of everyone who follows the false shepherd is destruction in hell. This is why it's such a tragedy for anyone today to reject God and to follow the path of Satan. Well, when, we, you, when you come to the end of this chapter, it's fair to ask, now that we see why the people of Israel have been suffering so much, how do they once again restore their relationship with God? How do they find favor with God as God's chosen people? Because remember, even though this chapter is so difficult and so dark in many respects, this chapter was, uh, Zechariah gave this chapter in order to encourage and to exhort the people of Israel. So how can the people of Israel restore their relationship with God? Well, if the people are suffering because they rejected the Son of God, then the only way they can be in favor with God is if they embrace the Son of God. And that's what Jesus said. He said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This means that Israel will see Christ again. But they will see Christ when they say that he is the Son of God, that he is their Messiah, and when they come to full repentance before God. And this full repentance is something that we will see in the next chapter, in chapter 12, when the entire nation turns to God and God begins to carry out the promises that he has, been, uh, that he has given to Israel over the past years in the scriptures. Well, let me pray for us as we think through these things. Heavenly Father, it's difficult to look at this chapter and to recognize all of the suffering that Israel has gone through. The nation that you chose through which you would display your glory, through which you would bring your son, through which you would bring salvation to those who repent. Lord, to see the way that this nation has been suffering over the, over the past couple thousand years. Lord God, as we look at this, we at the same time thank you that you do give hope, 
that there is an answer, and that the answer is in, the, in Christ, in your Son. Lord God, we thank you that he provides the salvation for us through his death and resurrection on the cross, or through his blood. Lord, we thank you that we can have this hope and this confidence, this assurance in you and in your word. Lord, I pray that as we walk away today, that this dependence on you, that it would grow, that our love for you would grow. And Lord, as we celebrate the birth of your son this entire month, I pray that we would draw closer to you and glorify you in all things that we think, say, and do. Lord, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.